For a limited time only, the mix Slig is back! Be grateful, you <laughs> fucking Pawindas. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name's Leo. And Leo, today we gotta talk about something gross. Ugh. <laughs> we gotta yeah. have the talk. The, oh. This is like health class in seventh grade. The talk? <laughs> no, no, no. The Benny Tleilag's talk, not that uh, talk. Oh, okay. I was wondering where babies come from, but I guess we'll talk about that in a different episode. Yeah, that'll be a special podcast for the patrons only. Okay. We'll talk about that. We'll, we'll talk through that. Get into the specifics. Yeah. No, so, uh, yeah, we're doing it. Today, we're talking all about the history and the culture of the Benny Tleilag's, one of the most important factions in the entire Dune saga. Yeah. And what's cool is this episode came about because of a vote from our patrons. Yeah, it's true. Every month, our patrons get to help us decide what topics to tackle in future episodes, and y'all really wanted to hear about the <laughs> Benny Delalax, so here we are. Every month, we try to keep our episodes from getting weirder and weirder. We put it to a vote, <laughs> and y'all went super weird. So, uh, yeah. all right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Now, in addition to being super weird, the Delalax, notably, are from the fifth, well, they're really expounded upon in the fifth and sixth books by Frank. So, spoiler warning for today's episode. Mm -hmm. Today, we will be talking about all six, all period, six period of Frank's books. So, just be warned. Read those books. They're great. We love them. That's right. And with that spoiler warning out of the way, Leo, let's take care of our usual housekeeping. Let's do it. First up. The best way to support this show, as you all know by now, <laughs> is to become a patron at patreon.com slash gomjabar. Yep. You get sweet, sweet perks like completely ad-free episodes, early access to future book clubs, and an invite to the exclusive Gomjabar Discord server where you can chat with me and Leo directly and get to know the other geeky members of our <laughs> Siege community, of our little Gomjabar Dune podcast Siege community. It's nice. I really like the people in our Discord. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Well, special shout out as always to our Quisats Hatterack level patrons, Case Aiken and Nate Hyde. Yeah. You know, guys, the Benny Tleilax, they actually tried to artificially create people as generous as you have been. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it died. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thanks. I mean, thank you. <laughs> Incredible. Risking life and limb. <laughs> truly, truly. Now, Patreon is not the only way to support the show. Another great way to help this podcast continue is to check out our merchandise on gomjabarshop.com. Right. We've got some cool apparel, some art, a cute little enamel pin. You're going to want it all. So check it out. Once again, that's gomjabarshop.com. Another great way to help us on this show. And as always, if you have an idea, a question, a comment, a concern, a meme, a picture of your pets. Yes. Email us, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you, whether it is any of those things, or it's just a blank subject field and a blank body of text. 
We love it. It's great. <laughs> Which we did get once. Yeah, it's true. It was very cryptic. <laughs> Remember when we asked people to just send in their name with no body of text? Yeah. Laughing and joking and then forgot about it? Yep. And then we're confused? <laughs> right. And then we're getting cryptic emails that just say the word Jason. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> was this on purpose? And they're like, I did what you asked. God, we're sorry. Oh, we man. are sorry for our old memories. Yeah. That's a joke that's going to continue biting us in the ass. Yeah. All righty. So that's housekeeping out of the way. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about today's episode and set the scene. Right. Because there's a lot to cover with the Benny Tlalax, and we simply don't have the time to talk about every facet of this group today. Right. So the goal today is to focus primarily on their origins and their history. Yeah. And then break down their culture and legacy in the Dune universe, what they contributed to the galaxy. Right. And the biggest reason outside of the patron vote to talk about the Benny Tleilax is kind of something I mentioned earlier. They are one of the most significant factions in this entire story, in this Imperium. They play a huge role yeah. in humanity's story in the Dune universe. So it's important to understand where they come from and what they're motivated by and learn what we can about them because it changes the way you experience the books when you do read them. Now, all of this, and we'll get into why this is also kind of a problem, is first of all, they're not really even introduced until Messiah. Yeah. Like they're mentioned one or two words in the first book, but Messiah is where we meet Sightail. And then we really don't know much about Tleilax or the Bene Tleilax until Heretics. Right. So they are very much in the background. We're always told the Bene Gesserit are very secretive, but we're with them day one. Like literally yep. the first page of Dune mentions two Bene Gesserit. So it is worth taking a moment and saying like, yeah, whether it is the Golas that we meet, the face dancers that we meet, or even the fucking Sligs that we don't meet, but we <laughs> get reference to, the Benny Tleilax really are contributing to the universe in a way that is not insignificant. And we also had a problem <laughs> scripting this episode. <laughs> we did. And it comes down to the fact that at the time of Frank writing the kind of core books that introduce people to the Dune universe, a lot of big decisions about the Benny Tleilax culture it seems like they hadn't been made. Right. So we do have to talk briefly about canonicity and uh, not for the normal <laughs> Brian Herbert reasons. Right, right. We have a whole different reason today. Yeah. So the primary issue that comes up in today's episode is the Dune Encyclopedia was published in 1984. Right. The two books in which we learn the most about the Benny Tleilax, Heretics of Dune and Chapter House, weren't published until 84 and 85, respectively. Yeah. So... That means that a lot of the encyclopedia either doesn't cover the things we learn about the Benny Tleilax in those later books, or there are contradictions because the encyclopedia fills in gaps that Frank himself then fills in differently later in his own books. Right, right. So today we're going to do our best to be very, very clear about our sourcing. Yeah. There are parts we pull from the encyclopedia. We'll let you know what those parts are. And then a vast majority of today's episode is actually sourced from Heretics of Dune and from Chapter House Dune, because that is truly where we get introduced to and learn the most about 
the Bene Tleilaks and their culture. Right. So we just wanted to make that clear that the encyclopedia, while useful, is limited in scope today just because of the whole publication date issue and the direction that Frank took those last two books in the saga. The other thing is, Frank did us a favor with Dune by including the terminology of the Imperium at the end of the book. It's like, oh, it's right. very nice. Look at this little <laughs> dictionary of all the things you're talking about. He stopped doing that. He stopped being nice, in a sense. So another source of today's episode, and I'm a little sorry to say this, are like internet forums going back the 25 years of Dune fandoms existing on the internet. Yeah. Because in Heretics and Chapter House, if you've read those books, you know that Frank doesn't say, you know, this isn't this isn't one of those like 90s sitcoms where like it's a freeze frame on WAF and he's like, you might be wondering how we got here. And then it just like walks you through <laughs> beat by beat. No, you have to like piece together at a certain point writing this script. I felt like fucking Charlie Day in those memes with all the red string. And I'm yes, like, yes. the Benny Tleilax don't exist. It was a mess. So all of that to say Today's episode comes with a humble request. We may have left some details out. We did our best to make sure everything's verified via Frank's texts, but minor things might be wrong. And ultimately, we try our best. We take this very, very, very seriously. But this is one of those topics that took so much time and so much research that it's probably true that something is wrong. Yeah. If you notice something, whether it's a mistake or something we left out, please email us. Again, that's gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. We will do future episodes on the Benny Tleilax. Right. So this is one of those topics that we can return to and make amendments on, and it can be kind of a living conversation with ourselves and the people who listen to our humble little show here. For sure. And I would also add to that, people should also send us their headcanon and their theories. Yes, true. We're going to touch on some theories that we found online. Some of them are our own headcanon on today's episode in regards to the Benny Tleilax. But right. of course, we'd love to hear what everyone else thinks as well. So in addition to spot checking us on the facts here, also send us your headcanon because I'd be very interested to hear what people think of the Tleilax suit. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So that's housekeeping and scene setting out of the way. Let's take a short break here, but don't go anywhere, folks, because when we come back, we are diving feet first into the history and culture of the Benny Tleilax. Ugh. It's going to be gross. Ugh. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody. Buckle up. Put your seatbelts on. Get your barf bags ready. We're talking about the Benny Tleilax. Let's start with their history and origins. Yeah. And... To start talking about their history, we have to first get through basically what the Dune Encyclopedia has to say. We're going to start here. We're going to start the conversation here because chronologically, 
the Dune Encyclopedia was the first body of text compiled by a close friend of Frank's that did its best to answer a lot of these questions about the Bene Tleilax. So we'll start here, and then we're going to look at some of the ways that Frank expanded on and changed their history and culture through Heretics and Chapter House. Absolutely. The Dune Encyclopedia tells us that the documented history of the Bene Tleilax, the first time they make an appearance in historical record, is in 23 BG, Mm. before Guild. Right. So that's a couple of decades before the founding of the Spacing Guild. Right. What is known fact here is that they exist on the planet Tleilax. What? So... (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Aptly named as a culture. (laughs) Yeah. And the planet Tleilax is located in one of the most distant fringe sectors of the old Imperium, one of the hardest areas to get to. And it was even difficult for the Spacing Guild mission to find the Bene Tleilax. So my interpretation of this is that the Guild almost kind of stumbled upon the Bene Tleilax in their little corner of the galaxy here in 23 BG. Yeah. Now, it's not clear what the early Bene Tleilax culture and society was like at this time. Right. Like, what group of people did the Guild stumble upon here? We don't have a ton of detail on that. But what is clear is that even this early in their history, the Bene Tleilax were already extremely hierarchical and were already the type of culture that viewed things like, I don't know, war, <laughs> poverty, religion, yeah. as markets and products to be exploited, which is going to be a very strong theme for the Tleilax when we talk about their culture later. And so we can assume that the Beni Tleilax, the guild came across all these thousands of years ago, is very similar to the Beni Tleilax that we then get to know in Heretics and Chapter House. Right. Yeah. Now, similar to the Benny Tleilax that we meet in Heretics and Chapter House, they are secretive. They want to keep their secrets. <laughs> Say what you want about the Benny Tleilax, but they are somewhat self-aware. They're like, man, I feel like that broader universe is going <laughs> to shut down this party, <laughs> this amoral, unethical party. Yeah. So the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that 23 years before the founding of the Spacing Guild, this was the period where Freelo Mason would have been in charge of the Spacing Guild and at this stage was attempting to establish his dream of a galactic monopoly. So trying to like find clients, trying to just scope out where is humanity. Right. And the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that the Bene Tleilax basically negotiated with this kind of newly forming spacing guild to protect their secrecy and to immediately introduce some headcanon. Personally, kind of looking at where Freelo and the spacing guild was, and, and we talked about the spacing guild's origins in another episode. Personally, I think that Freelo would have been like, what a great way to solidify and kind of validate this shipping company And being able to offer gross, weird products (laughs) is still being able to offer products, right? Yeah. Personally, I feel like that would make a certain sense. Yeah. This version of the universe seems pretty cohesive. The Dune Encyclopedia is kind of nice in that way. That makes a lot of sense to me as well. Yeah. Because to my understanding, 
the Benny Tleilaks, even this early on, are creating technologies that are basically breaking the great convention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least very much towing the line. But they are technologies that people want, right? You can really draw a parallel between the Ixians and the Benny Tleilaks. Right. While the Ixians are very technological, the Benny Tleilaks are creating biological technologies that are amoral at best and immoral at worst. <laughs> right. And I think what the Spacing Guild recognizes here is, okay, we found these people that have this technology that we know the rest of the Imperium will want, but will not want to manufacture, if that makes sense. Like, they kind of want to, like, outsource the morality of it all, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Don't deal with the baggage of, are we breaking the Great Convention? Let the Benny Tleilax do that, but buy their products, because we still want their products. Don't show us how the sausage is made. Exactly. Just keep shipping us sweet, sweet sausage. <laughs> right. Or in this case, the McSlig. The McSlig. <laughs> <laughs> so that this headcanon of yours, I 100% agree with, and I think it totally makes sense. The value of the Benny Tleilax is obvious, both for their products right. and for the fact that uh, you can pretend like you're still a moral upstanding citizen of the Imperium <laughs> because you're not doing it. The Benny Tleilax are. Right. We do get some confirmation, by the way, in Heretics. It's hinted that the Tleilaks have some leverage over the guild. Now, the quote, the direct quote is regarding whether or not the guild would reveal some secret of the Benny Tleilaks. Quote, they have never spoken of it and they never will. They know what our response would be. End quote. Ooh, ominous. I know, super ominous. Now, this is, I mean, of course, one possibility is just... They think a lot of themselves. This is an empty, braggadocious threat. Mm -hmm. It is also possible that because of everything that's happening in Heretics, at this point, the Tleilaks have people in charge of like key functions of the guild and they can just shut down the business, you know, send a single distrans and then the whole guild shuts down. But my personal theory is that the bioengineer society of the Tleilaks would have very quickly figured out that Spice was necessary for the guild. And as we know, at the time of Dune and Paul Atreides taking the Imperial throne, that's still a crazy secret. That's still a very closely held secret. Oh, yeah. Not only does this make sense with who the Benny Tleilax is, it ultimately does line up with the timeline of the guild trying to keep this thing clamped down. For sure. And either way, whether or not they have that sort of leverage or it's just a mutually beneficial relationship, right. the end result is that both House Carino and the Spacing Guild protect the Benny Tleilax. Yeah. And the trade-off is you will provide us the goods that you're creating, those immoral, juicy, juicy, immoral mixed legs. You <laughs> ship those to our Imperium and we will protect you. They are. They are good. I mean. <laughs> they are good. They are good. The best meat this side of heaven, I've heard. <laughs> that's, you know, that's on the box, but I got to agree. <laughs> Pretty good. Now, to wrap up what the Dune Encyclopedia tells us about Tleilaxu history, there is one other bit of detail that we learn. And that is how the Bene Gesserit reacted to the introduction of the Bene Tleilax into the Imperium. Right. Not everyone was going to be stoked that these people were showing up with their mixed legs and their other gross biological experiments. Right. The Bene Gesserit's reaction was instantly, oh shit, 
we need to keep tabs on these people. Right. We need to figure out who they are, what they're up to, what their game plan is. Let's install some spies. Yeah. How'd that go? Not great. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say. Yeah. They're like, we need to know everything. They proceeded to learn nothing. (laughs) Basically. Basically. Again, the Benny Tleilax are an ultra secretive society. One that even the Benny Gesserit, despite their initial wariness about them, were not able to penetrate for thousands of years. Right. Basically until the time of heretics. And even then, they were really playing a very educated guessing game. Right. And I think one of the things that reinforces this the most is early on in Messiah, during the time of Emperor Palmodib, which is now thousands of years after the Beni Tleilaks were first introduced to the Imperium. Right. Recall Moheim's just utter shock and awe. <laughs> yeah. When Sightail casually mentions that the Beni Tleilaks had once created a Kwisatz Haderach. Yeah. Her reaction makes it clear that the Beni Gesserit spy network has not been able to penetrate the deepest secrets of the Tleilax for thousands of years. We have, I was going to say, we have an ongoing inside joke about her on the audiobook version of that scene. So good. It's so good. I mean, within the Dune Encyclopedia canonicity, within that Dune Encyclopedia story, in conjunction with Dune Messiah, we see that the Bene Gesserit are just woefully, woefully uninformed basically until the time of the honored matre right and that's it that's basically all the tune encyclopedia has to say about their history (laughs) so let's pivot let's talk now about heretics and chapter house and the full picture is both fascinating and easy to miss and a third thing which is possibly speculative yeah uh so let's do our best let's get through this Let's talk about what we learn in Heretics. Yes. So in Heretics of Dune, we learned that the Bene Tleilax originally stemmed from a branch of the Zensuni migration. Right. We get this thought from Waf during one of the meetings with the Tleilaxu masters. Quote, he could see that all of them were reflecting on their Sufi origins, recalling the great belief and the Zen Sunni ecumenism that had spawned the Beni Tleilax. End quote. Ah, yes. What a simple sentence that's easy to parse <laughs> and is not open for interpretation. I understood all of that. <laughs> I didn't immediately Google nine of those words, wondering what Frank had invented and what is just a word I don't know. <laughs> yeah, oof. It's so dense. But it's clear to us that there is some sort of direct Zen Sunni to Tleilax connection. Right. And that muddies the timeline a little bit from what the Dune Encyclopedia tells us. Right. Because we know that the Zen Sunni migration, the migration that ultimately led to part of the Zen Sunni people becoming the Fremen on Arrakis, began in 2800 AG after Guild. Yeah. And that migration ended in 7,193 AG on Arrakis, with the Fremen people arriving on Arrakis. So based on that timeline, somewhere in theirs, I guess the assumption is that a splinter group of Zen Sunni went off to Tleilax and became the Tleilaxu. But that timeline obviously differs from what the 
Dune Encyclopedia tells us with the Spacing Guild finding Telelax in 23 before Guild. There's like this weird 2800-year discrepancy there. Yeah. And even now we're pulling dates, that 2800 AG and 7193 AG, which is that 5,000-year window, yeah, is pulled from the Dune Encyclopedia. So Right. So even that is... <laughs> it's just tough. Now, again, the Dune Encyclopedia was written to be a book that could be wrong because it's put forth as a document in the Dune universe. So if the historians who were putting together the Dune Encyclopedia were fed wrong information by the Benny Tleilax or by face dancers in position of editorial agents. <laughs> are you sure this is true? Oh, yeah, it's totally true. Is Penguin House publishing all face dancers? Because that's my headcanon now. I do get that feeling sometimes when I walk by Penguin House. I'm like, I feel like I'm sensing some, what is that? It's sort of pheromones in the air, you know, you can kind of. <laughs> all of this is to say, this is messy. And we do sort of have to cherry pick and pick and choose and see where there is solid kind of fact given to us. And then where there isn't, we sort of have to do our best. So that's what we have. <laughs> yep. There's, there's the aforementioned discrepancies and muddiness that we mentioned at the top of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. So what we do know is that by the time Dune starts, in the year 10,191 AG, yep. we can safely assume that the Beni Tleilax have been on their planet of Tleilax for thousands of years. Yes, we know that. Yes. And from Messiah on, as you mentioned, when the Tleilaxu are more formally introduced in the story, we can better track their history. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of what happens with the Tleilaxu from Messiah onwards through heretics and chapter s and it's significant paul entering the scene paul stepping out onto the galactic stage changed a lot of the power dynamics that existed in the universe yeah but he was also a demonstration of the missionaria protectiva come to life he was the case study for religion and power married right and we get straight up confirmation of this connection from Bejaz, everyone's favorite, lightly prescient, Tleilaxu distrans dwarf. Great dude. Love him. <laughs> Our boy. Our boy. Our sweet boy. <laughs> from his chapter with hate, Bejaz drops a few further kind of hints about how the Tleilaxu have developed in the years leading up to Paul's empire. And here are some quotes that we've pulled from the book and kind of what they maybe indicate. Quote, the Guild and Bene Gesserit believe we produce artifacts. In reality, we produce tools and services. Anything can be a tool. Poverty. War. War is useful because it is effective in so many areas. End quote. Man, Frank was writing these in the 70s, wasn't he? Yeah, no kidding. What insight that quote gives us into their culture and the way they see the universe. Yeah. Most people, I like to imagine, look at war and go, oh, no, that's a bad thing. Right. Yeah. The Benny Tleilax, as Bejaz makes clear from this quote, <laughs> look at war simply as a tool. Yeah. It's a catalyst. Look at how effective war is in so many industries. Totally. Yeah. Let's utilize that. And the same thing with poverty. A tool. Something to take advantage of. I love this quote so much because it gives us such insight 
into the way the Tleilaxu think. It also highlights the fact that the Guild and the Bene Gesserit don't understand. And it highlights the fact that the major players of the Dune universe have some broad misconceptions about the Bene Tleilax and maybe how invested they are in certain fields of study, right? Mm -hmm. We have another quote. Quote, Speak of how much the Tleilaxu admire what he has taught them about the possibilities of religion. Tell him the Tleilaxu have a department of religious engineering, shaping religions to particular needs. End quote. Yep. And man, are we talking about the Bene Tleilax <laughs> or the Bene Gesserit? Because that sounds right. exactly like the Missionaria Protectiva. Yep. Right? Yep. Nuts. The Bene Tleilax, Bejaz is, is saying to hate in this moment, straight up, he's saying, hate, Paul taught us how important manipulating religion is for control and power. Tell him that. It'll impress him. And also it'll distract him and then you can stab him with a knife. But still, that's nuts, the amount that that kind of reveals to us. This is also, by the way, part of the conditioning moment that Bejaz is entering into where he is kind of being candid with hate because this is the part that he makes hate forget. So I took all of this very face value. Oh, yeah. This is him being honest and speaking candidly. Yeah. I don't think he's being coy. Yeah. And what's so interesting is the Tleilaxu who take these lessons from Paul's rise to power to heart. They note how effective it is marrying religion and government. Yeah. How powerful of a leader it makes Paul. And obviously, for us, the reader, that's a huge red flag. <laughs> Yeah. Religion and government in the same cart that Benny Gesserit axiom we love so much. Huge red flag. But the Tleilax decide this is a thing they love yeah. and that they're going to lean into. And we get confirmation that they do lean into it because when we fast forward to the time of Heretics and Chapter House, we see that the Tleilaxu government has done just that. They have taken marrying religion and government to the extreme. Their government is their religion. Their religion right. is their government. And that's a lesson they learned from Paul. <laughs> it's wild stuff to see that transformation kind of happening behind the scene as just a result of Paul's rise to power, how much it changes Tleilaxu culture and government. Yeah, no kidding. It really feels like they read the first half of Dune <laughs> <laughs> and went... What was it? Religion and government in the same cart. Uh-huh. Unstoppable right. force. Cool. Done. We've read enough. And then they put the book down and didn't get <laughs> all of the warnings and the foreboding and the, yeah, you know. They spark notes the rest and then had to write an essay on it on the test. God. I know that feeling. They, they would be the fucking people to not read the book and then just fake it. <laughs> I say that as the person who did exactly that. I've given right. multiple oh book gosh. reports on books I haven't read. So, Yep. <sighs> gosh. Amoral. Who immoral. are we to judge, right? Yeah. You know, they, they <laughs> turn the mirror upon us. So, clearly having not read Dune, they leaned hard into what Jessica explicitly says not to do. And there are a couple of reasons why they might have done this, right? One possible explanation is that they did this, they leaned into religion and their religious beliefs cynically as a means of control, 
right? Yeah. That being said, when we meet WAF and when we meet the other Tleilaxu masters, none of them are like, these fucking idiots believe all of... No, they believe it. So by the time of heretics, which again, thousands of years, it's possible they've fallen into believing their own myths. Mm. Now, the other possibility is that the core Tleilaxu masters were always deeply religious and believed those kind of core Zen Sunni theistic beliefs, but kept religion among their ruling class, right? Only leaning into it as a means of control and rule after seeing Muad'Dib in his religion government, basically in his, I am a Messiah, I am God, and taking over the whole universe the way he mm. does. Yeah. I will say there was a very compelling bit of evidence someone presented on a message board that hate being trained as a Zen Sunni philosopher isn't exactly explained. People go, well, it's kind of to make him interesting for Paul. It's to get Paul to ask the wrong questions. It's to, you know, we've postulated that it was part of what hate needed to survive the awakening. Yeah. They were kind of guessing at what tools he might need and a Zen Sunni ability to step back from immediate trauma would be helpful. But another possibility that someone brought up, and I really like this, is that the core Tleilaxu masters who are in charge of informing the things that hate would be conditioned with were like, yeah, Zen Sunni beliefs because that's what's true. Right. That's what we believe. <laughs> that's what we believe. Exactly. How do we best equip this dude? Well, with the truth and that really does, in, in my opinion, string together some of these early kernels that Frank laid for us and then these later evolutions that we have so that it doesn't necessarily feel like he wrote Messiah and then went, oh, fuck, I'm going to write more books, huh? Hmm. <laughs> How do I, like, change everything? <laughs> yeah, it feels cohesive. It does. In a way that Frank does so well. Yeah. Now, of course, Paul's rule is just one major development that affects the Tleilaxu. Right. Another huge, huge thing also happens in Messiah that we want to just briefly touch on. We talked at length about this in our Dune Messiah book club. Right. So check that out for an incredibly deep discussion about this. But very quickly, another major development around this time is the awakening of the Gola hate. The first time in history that's ever yeah. happened. The yeah. Gola getting its past lives back, the memory of its past lives back. And in essence, this basically unlocks for the Tleilaxu literal immortality. Yeah, And we see how they use it by the time we get to heretics. It's just a normal, everyday thing for the Tleilaxu masters to have golas of themselves in tanks so that when their current bodies die, the gola wakes up, gets its memories back, right, and you continue existing. It's this almost perverted way of accessing their other memory, like the Bene Gesserit do it through intense training and the spice agony. Right. The Tleilaxu do it through fucking cloning themselves and then traumatizing <laughs> that clone to trigger the memories to come back. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like all duct tape solutions, they only get their personal memories. So this MacGyvered other memory not quite as good, but fucking they did it. Yeah. I'm as impressed as Odrade is when she's like, yo, what? <laughs> That's crazy. Right. Still hugely significant because it now allows these 
Tleilaxu masters to effectively live forever. Yeah. And we see that front and center in Heretics. These masters have been around for thousands of years. Literally, Sidetail is still fucking kicking it. Yeah. What up? It's your boy. <laughs> it's your boy, Sidetail. You saw a knife go into my head. I'm back. <laughs> been promoted to master. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that's basically it. <laughs> we don't really get a lot else. We don't get really a lot of other details. So let's summarize what's confirmed. At some point, probably at least 3,000 years before Dune, someone who used to be Zinsuni ended up on a planet <laughs> called Playlax. <laughs> this is already so speculative. <laughs> they developed a hierarchical and research-driven society developing gross, weird inventions and ideas. Yep. Okay. okay. We've talked about that. They only maintain their secrecy because they offer products and quote-unquote services that no one else can or wants to. And like the mixed league. <laughs> and after learning from Wadib and seeing just the insane accomplishment of the Missionaria Protectiva, as well as the incredible discovery of the Gola memory awakening technique, they established a very clearly religious government and their rulers are immortal. <laughs> and that's it. Wow. Basically four bullet points to summarize almost 2,000 pages of novel. Yeah. Hmm. And still so much we don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. They're, they're such a secretive group. And I can't believe our listeners made us do this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we could have talked about the 1984 Lynch movie, but no. <laughs> you wanted to hear about Tleilaxu. Jesus. Right. We will talk about it. No, right? it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it's fun. So next we want to talk about their society and culture. But... Let's take a brief moment here just to talk about some of their contributions to the galaxy. Oh, sure. Before we move on. Yeah. Just because we've talked about these quote-unquote products and services, but let's kind of give them names. We keep making this McSlig joke, but <laughs> that is one of the things they have contributed to the galaxy that we know about. Canonically. Sligs. The McSlig. <laughs> <laughs> the McSlig. Yeah. Sligs are a real deal thing in Dune. Yeah. And... Basically, what we know about them is that they are some sort of slug slash pig hybrid. Yeah. That results in just some of the most delicious meat you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And in classic Tleilaxu fashion, they are a slug slash pig because the Tleilaxu thought it would be funny if they were gross but delicious. Because <laughs> they are truly the ultimate trolls of the galaxy. Also in classic Tleilaxu fashion... They don't eat slicks. Right. They don't really sample their own supply. How weird is that? So yeah. suspicious. Someone said, here, I made you this. Yeah. And you go, are you going to have some? They're like, no. <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm not going to eat that. Oof. Right. You're like, what did you do to my food? <laughs> they also made the axolotl tanks, as well as the face dancers. Good Lord. We'll talk about them in a minute. And they made the golas. Now, the Dune Encyclopedia refers to hate as an early Gola, but we know from Frank's writing that when hate is introduced, there is a reputation around Golas, right? Right. Fremen already have superstitions about Golas, and we know then that they are a thing, or they have been a thing for years. We don't know if it's a thousand years or 40, 
how quickly people get used to new technology. I feel like people are already tired of their iPhone that came out in fucking September. Yeah. So maybe Gola's happened in September and now it's like <laughs> March in Dune. Yeah. But regardless, they've been around for a little bit. Gola's are a significant offering. Right. Even without their memories being reawakened. Right. And the last bit of technology that we know for sure the Tleilaxu produce and sell to the galaxy are the Tleilaxu eyes. Right. The mechanical eyes that can be used as prosthetics, as replacements for people who have gone blind. Right. And, of course, this is another piece of tech that the Tleilaxu themselves don't ever use. <laughs> but they sure as hell do sell it. Suspicious! <laughs> Guess who the imposter is? Always the Tleilaxu. They, they vented! I saw it. <laughs> Absurd. So that's a pretty short list of the confirmed technologies. Obviously, the assumption is that there are many others. Chair dogs, yeah. Yeah, I mean, our headcanon is that chair dogs are also a Tleilaxu invention. That's not confirmed. I've seen it. I saw it listed on a number of websites. They're like, yeah, chair dogs are made by the Tleilax. And I'm like, fucking, where are you getting this from? Right. Such is the nature of studying the Benny Tleilax. True, true. We did want to share one last quote about this technology from the Dune Encyclopedia, because it's just delightful. Right. Quote, Few of the Tleilaxu artifacts and services have been remembered by history since their purchasers were loath to advertise where they shopped. End quote. <laughs> so that's a potential reason we only have four or five pieces of tech historically that we know about. Because no one wants to mention they got this from Abercrombie or whatever. <laughs> Wow, that's a very interesting coffee maker you have. Uh, can I ask where you got it? Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, God, sharper image, probably. Can't remember. <laughs> is it? Is it talking? No, maybe. I don't know. Just does that sometimes. Well, with all of that out of the way, let's now take a look at the society and culture of the Benny Twilax and maybe examine... Who are these people who might give us the McSlig and might give us the McDuncan? McGola? <laughs> <laughs> McDuncan Donuts? Yeah. Let's take a look at the society and culture of the Benny Tleilax. <laughs> and before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. So stick around. When we're back, we're going to talk about the snapshot we get in Heretics. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, folks. Mm. Let's dive into the second part of our discussion today, breaking down the society and culture of the Tleilaxu, or at least what we know of it. Right. Now, one caveat before we get into this conversation about their society and culture, the bulk of what we know about them comes from Heretics of Dune and a bit from Chapter House Dune. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the snapshot we have. We don't 
have a clear picture of what Tleilaxu culture was exactly like thousands of years ago. We can make some educated guesses, but what we know from the books canonically is what they were like during the time of the Honored Matres in those last two books. So that's primarily what we'll be talking about here. Right. Now, despite contributing basically exclusive technology services, weapons, and sex toys Hello. <laughs> to the Imperium, confirmed. Would you use a Tleilaxu sex toy, though? Like, Yeah, that's rough. That's a tough... <laughs> How good is it? They're like, oh, it's great. Do you use it? Like, what's your experience been? They're like, nah, we've never, we wouldn't ever dare use that. Do you use it? They're like, <laughs> no, no. I mean, <clears throat> we haven't. No. Right. Huge red flags. <laughs> red flags. Neither here nor there. They manufacture red flags. It's insane. Right. You, you want me to stick what in my body and you haven't? <laughs> Everyone hates them. Despite the sex toys. Despite the technology the services the weapons everyone hates them and generally for good reason now all over the place people are aware that the benny tleilax are constantly pushing the limits of the great convention ignoring these like ethics and morality far beyond anything that is even remotely defensible and I actually want to pull this quote now from the Dune Encyclopedia because it's fantastic. It reads as a very mean Yelp review, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Quote, inherent in their offerings was the guilt that came to buyers from their violations of the Butlerian edicts. The frequency of the epithet Dirty Tleilaxu demonstrated how soiled people felt as a result of their sinful commerce with the inhabitants of Tleilax. End quote. When people refer to buying and selling things to you as sinful commerce, I feel like you're doing something wrong. <laughs> right. Your marketing strategy is wrong. <laughs> You've got a brand issue. Yeah. Now, in addition to their questionable marketing tactics, there's also, of course, another reason why the Benny Tleilax are so distrusted by most of the galaxy. Yeah. And it's... The gross shit that they're up to. The Dune Encyclopedia says, quote, their genetic manipulation masked life and nature. The Bene Gesserit could be tolerated, even admired, for their pretension at improving humanity, but the Bene Tleilax's distortions only inspired primal horror. <laughs> End quote. So to, to just paint a picture of how people view them in the galaxy. Yeah. Not positively. Yeah. <laughs> Now, with all of that in mind, yeah. we do get the Tleilaxu perspective on this in Heretics from Waff. Yeah. And it's kind of shocking because the implication is almost that the Tleilaxu have cultivated this reputation themselves on purpose. Like they want to be known as like the gross outsiders of the galaxy that are breaking the rules and no one wants to be associated with. It's almost part of their plan. Right. Here's the quote from heretics of dune when waf is looking out over bandalog the tleilaxu capital yeah quote all of this and much more had gone into the construction of a particular benny tleilax image by those millennia of pretense they had created a myth the vile detestable dirty tleilaxu the stupid tleilaxu the predictable tleilaxu the impetuous tleilaxu <laughs> even the prophet's minions had fallen prey to this myth a captive fish speaker had stood in this very room 
and shouted at a Tleilaxu master, Long pretense creates a reality. You are truly vile. So they had killed her, and the prophet did nothing. How little all of those alien worlds and peoples understood Tleilaxu restraint. Impetuosity. Let them reconsider, after the Beni Tleilax demonstrated how many millennia they were capable of waiting for their ascendancy. End quote. Wow. Man. Wow. I fucking love this writing. Yeah. Frank always does a great job of show, don't tell. But in this somewhat expositional chunk, we see that Waff is proud of their reputation, right? Being considered fucking awful took time. He's like, guys, you don't understand how patient we've been over thousands of years. But the fish speaker makes a solid point. Y'all have been acting like fucking gremlins for thousands of years. You might just be awful. Right. (laughs) How long are you going to pretend to be a thing until you are just actually the thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the same critique for like, really hyper method actors right yeah with like oh my god he disappears into the role and he's an asshole to everyone it's like hey that's also just kind of an I, asshole i think he's just an asshole now <laughs> <laughs> just, he's become an asshole it's incredible <laughs> that's wild i also do love that this suggests either waff is lost in his own sauce yeah you know, they're kind of believing their own narrative yeah but also that possibility that no 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 they have a clear-headed sight of this is what we've cultivated and all of this is on purpose it's just so cool it's so cool and it does add this incredible dimension to what could easily be construed as one of the sort of more two-dimensional cultures if you just say the dirty Tleilaxu fully summarizes the Tleilaxu well that's not a very fleshed out culture is it right so let's talk about it what do we know what do we know about their culture well as we established earlier in the episode They're a hyper-religious culture. They have fully married government and religion. Right. Every aspect of their daily life and their behavior and their outlook on the galaxy is attuned to their religious rules and their ceremonies. And we get such a clear picture of that in Heretics. Their society is also thus built in an extremely hierarchical, almost caste-like system where there are stark differences between the very small exclusive ruling class, which are the Tleilaxu masters, more on that in a minute, Mm -hmm. and then there's the rest of society, which are the face dancers, sort of the working class, and then perhaps all the way at the bottom of that list are the axolotl tanks, which we'll get to. (laughs) Unfortunately. Unfortunately. So if we were to define the three pillars of Tleilaxu society, sort of the foundation of their culture. Right. There's obviously religion. Right. The second one could be hierarchy and caste. Right. And the third then would 1,000% be isolationism and xenophobia. Right. Yeah. They hate outsiders. And that's made extremely clear when in Heretics of Dune were introduced to this heavily derogatory term, Pawinda. Yeah. Like, when you first read Pawinda, it can sound like they're talking about people who are not from planet Tleilax. And that was my first read on it, is, like, off-worlders. Yeah, right. But we learn from Waff getting duped by Odraid, basically. 
that the word has a lot more to do with sharing of the great belief, right? And adherence to the uh, shariat than what planet you're from. It's not about where you're from. It's about whether or not you're part of our faith. Right. Now, part of this is clearly Frank leaning into his research here because among the many hours of kind of building this script and researching this episode, it's clear Pawinda comes from Pavinda, which is a nomadic trader, people who participate in trade from the Afghanistan region. But in this case, it's the Benny Tlalax word, which is much more akin to something like heathen or infidel, right? Someone who doesn't believe in your beliefs. Right. And then, of course, whether or not you believe in the great belief and kind of adhere to the shariat is obviously from Sharia law or Sharia, right? Yeah, definitely. And finally, and this is this blows my mind, the Benny Tlalax secret language. And Odrite just straight up says it. She's like, oh, yeah, their secret language. Islamiyat. <laughs> it's so subtle. Frank. Right. This is the 80s, by the way. What was the reader supposed to do in the 80s after reading a sentence like that? I don't know. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> right. You and I can just Google this shit. Yeah. Those poor folks in... <sighs> 1985 trying to be like Islami what? Islamiyat? Sharia? Islamiyat? Yeah. 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 It's also cool to think that it might have been people's first exposure to these Arabic and Islamic terms. It's a tough look if your first exposure to the idea of Sharia law is the Benny Tlalax. <laughs> yeah, a terrible representation of it, to Not be clear. at all accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Speaking of their faith, actually, right. what is their faith? What is this great belief? Right. We don't know the exact tenets of the faith. That's never laid out in clear terms for us. But we can maybe connect some dots here. Right. So we know, as we stated earlier, that the Tleilaxu religion began with the Sufi and Zen Sunni beliefs. Right. That's sort of the origin foundation of the religion thousands of years ago. Obviously, that evolves over thousands of years. Paul and Leto II's influence is massive on their beliefs and their religions over these thousands of years. Right. We know from hints in the heretics in Chapter House that they believe in some sort of monotheistic god, and this god is referred to in he-him pronouns. Right. They also believe that Leto II was not a god himself, like the fish speakers and many other people believed, but was actually a prophet of their one true God. Right. So Leto II is still revered in their religion, but not as the God, but simply his messenger, which also is very parallel to Islam, by the way. Yeah. Jesus, for example, in Islam is not considered a God, but just a messenger of God. Right. Waf actually like very clearly says this. So this is one thing about the religion when in regards to Leto II that we know 100%. Waf says, quote, all through the bad times of the prophet Leto II, not God emperor, but God's messenger, end quote. Yeah. So really laying it out for us. That is how they see Leto II. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, we're kind of piecing this stuff together from the quotes here and there. Right. And to put in perspective how secretive this religion is, Recall how Odrade 
tricking Waff into trusting her using just these wild, educated guesses that the Bene Gesserit have been able to put together from the limited knowledge they have over thousands of years of trying to understand the Tleilaxu. Just think of how nuts that is. Yeah. The Bene Gesserit, of all people, could not penetrate to the core of the Bene Tleilax society and religion, and were using guesses to try and win them over in Heretics and Chapter House. It's wild. It's insane. No whistleblowers in <laughs> Tleilaxu society, y'all. Right. They do not allow a Julian Assange to exist in their culture. No leaks. <laughs> no leaks. <laughs> WikiLeaks would not have happened in Tleilaxu's society, clearly. No, not at all. So we bring that up just to make clear how little we truly know. That is how secretive the Tleilaxu are. We know what they think about Leto too. We know their religion probably began with Sufi and Zen Sunni beliefs. But what are the exact tenets? We can only guess. Yeah. Just like the Bene Gesserit are only guessing. Yeah. You know, we're going to talk now about the classes of Tleilaxu society. Uh, but I just wanted to take a quick meta side note here because this really struck me as I was writing this script. And I think that Frank deserves both an applause and like a slap on the wrist. Uh, <laughs> he's always done a great job of show, don't tell. Right. But the chapters on Tleilax with Waff are a fucking ride. Yeah. I I reread a lot of, of Heretics before this episode. What struck me is that after thousands of pages of Dune, after two years of producing and writing and scripting a Dune podcast, I felt pretty comfortable with Dune lore and Dune canon. You can throw Dune terms at me and I get what they mean. I understand. It's great. Right. But some of these first pages on Tleilax are so fucking dense and just impenetrable, like utterly unwelcoming and really reminded me of that first time you first read Dune, if you can remember that, right? When you're reading about the boy of the, is the son of the mother and the reverend mother and the Kwisatz Haderach and, you know, the Gam Jabbar, <laughs> there's all these terms being thrown at you. Yeah. And Frank just does nothing to help you with that process. But here's an example. <laughs> this is nuts. Quote, To go out among the Pawinda could soil even the mightiest. The Kasadars, who policed all Tleilaxu frontiers and guarded the Salam licks of the women, <laughs> were right to suspect even Waf. He was of the people and the Kel, yes. But he must prove it each time he left the heartland and returned, and certainly every time he entered the Salamlik for the distribution of his sperm. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> Which, okay, you come to understand pretty much all of those words eventually. Kind of. Although, again, I did have to look up Salamlik, which is a Turkish gathering house for mostly men, is my understanding. But that's like four pages into the chapter, and it's a lot. It's so overwhelming. Yeah. I had to Google them. I had to like Google these words one at a time. And so many of them have some incredible depth and a really interesting reflection on Tleilaxu culture. And it's so good. It's so interesting. But Frank, what are people doing in 1985? <laughs> what do you do? Do you go to the library? <laughs> Do you pull up your encyclopedia? You go, well, I'm going to look for this word. 
oh, dang, Kwisatz Haderach isn't in the book. Like, (laughs) some of these words are real and, like, have meaning in culture out in the world. And some of them are are adjustments and changes and different spellings, right? Oh, my God. Later in the chapter, we get this sentence. Quote, Nowhere in the wecht of Jandala, not to the farthest reaches of the Tleilaxu Yagist, was there a living Pawinda <laughs> who knew this secret? End quote. <laughs> what the fuck does that sentence mean? <laughs> like... Some of these words... Bro, Leo, it sounds like you don't fuck with the wecht of Jondala, dude. <laughs> I'm not in the kelp, bro. The fucking Casadars, all, you know, they know. They know I'm not in the kelp. But no, I haven't been to Jondala. Jeez. All right? I don't fuck with the wecht. Wow, tell me you haven't traveled the farthest reaches of the Yagas without telling me you haven't traveled the farthest reaches of the Yagas. POV, you're fucking a power window over here. Who has it? <laughs> It's nuts. I feel like a 35-year-old trying to be on TikTok. It's so much. (laughs) In any case, I just want to highlight that Frank is so effectively making me feel the unfamiliarity of the Tleilaxu, right? Right. I feel like I'm on an alien planet in these chapters, and I feel... Like, I'm totally apart from the broad universe that I've come to understand. And, God, there is just so much, so many little details, so many little words that I found incredible depths to, but we just don't have time to talk about them. Thank God we have the internet. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Impenetrable truly is the word. I liked the way you described that. Their, their culture, their society, their religion, everything. Is just impenetrable and reading about them literally in Heretics and Chapter House feels impossible. Yeah. Wecked of Jondala and all, you know? It's wild stuff. Bro, you That's don't fuck point. with the Wecked of Jondala? <laughs> That's cringe, bro. <laughs> Awfully chuggy of you. <laughs> Awfully chuggy. Okay, let's continue our conversation about their society and culture because there are a couple of things we do know. And in particular, we know quite a bit about particular classes within their society. We listed them earlier, the masters, the face dancers, the axolotl tanks. But let's break each of them down a little further and talk about them a bit. Right. Now, of course, these three are the primary classes that we know about from the books and from the main canon. We do sometimes meet characters that seemingly fall outside of these categories. For example, there's the Tleilaxu ambassador Toledo II, Duro Nanepi. Mm-hmm. He isn't a face dancer or a master, apparently, but perhaps something in between. He doesn't cleanly fall into one category or the other. Right. And then there are the characters Wos and Leden Pook, who are just sort of casually name-dropped in Heretics, but we never meet them. They're envoys of some kind, but again, it's not clear that they're in the face dancer class or if they're actually masters or where they they fall in the hierarchy. So these are the primary classes that we know the most about, but it is clear that not everyone cleanly falls into these three categories and that there are perhaps sub hierarchies within the larger hierarchies, if that makes sense, sort of subclasses in the main classes. Right. And we do know, I mean, so as an example, to start with the Tleilaxu masters, the ruling class of Tleilaxu culture. We do know that there are 
at least two levels of this, right? Yeah. There's just, you are a Tleilaxu master, right? Probably shortened stature, gray-skinned, pointed teeth, the whole nine yards, bred to have a bland, diminutive appearance. (laughs) They seem so proud of this. They're like, yo, you are underestimating me. I can just, I can tell. Tricky. They like to be underestimated. Yeah. Now, there are two levels of Tleilaxu master. There is that, like, normal vanilla Tleilaxu master, and then there's, like, deluxe supreme mashiks. And these are the elected masters of masters, literally 10 of them, (laughs) governing ruling council, uh, the mashiks. I don't know that we ever meet a normal Tleilaxu master. Like, it's possible Nunepi or Bijaz are Tleilaxu masters, but they're just, like, super low-ranking, and then they refer to their masters, a.k.a. the Mashiks. But honestly, it's hard to say, and that's just the thesis of this whole episode is yeah, it is hard to say. <laughs> For real. But we do know that Waff in Heretics and Sightail in Chapter House are Mashiks, are the ruling, governing 10 Tleilaxu masters who are in charge of all of Tleilax. Right. And a quick note here, speaking of Sharia law and Islamiyat, it's obvious to me that Mashaik, Mashik, whatever this word is, is just another clear nod to Arabic culture. Mm-hmm. The word Sheikh is an honorific title that's historically been given to a tribal leader or a king of some sort or someone who is devoutly religious. And this is just, once again, another connection between the Tleilaxu and these Islamic and Arabic terms that Frank pulled from. Mashakes. Another thing hundreds of thousands of readers missed in the 1980s. <laughs> and now they're listening to us to learn about it. So there you go. Win-win. Yeah. Now, I mentioned Waf as a Mashik or Mashik, but no, no, he's not just a Mashik. Oh, God. He's not just one of the 10 <laughs> ruling people in this whole fucking society. No, no, no. He's the Mahai, a.k.a. the supreme leader. Hello. The number one most important Tleilax person in the, in the culture, in the universe. Yeah. And that's basically it for the Tleilaxu masters, although there is this added kind of footnote. We see Leto too become an immortal worm god (laughs) not even necessarily as his prime objective he wasn't like top of my bucket list become a worm he wanted to guide humanity for three thousand years he wanted to guide society teach humanity a lesson golden path all that right the tleilaxu masters to their credit saw the same thing they saw what would be necessary to guide the benny tleilax to this ascendancy to this sort of like religious rapture and what it would take was thousands of years of uninterrupted rule yeah so the immortality that they discovered with hate and with hate's awakening as duncan idaho allowed the tleilaxu masters the mashakes to personally rule for thousands of years and that is the Tleilaxu masters in a nutshell. Right. Okay, let's talk about the next class within their society, the next strata. Yeah. And this, of course, is the face dancers. Yeah. 
And before I say anything else, yeah. I have to make clear, this will not be a comprehensive discussion of phased answers because we simply do not have the time. Right. And because there is so much about them in the Dune Encyclopedia that we will likely be saving that for a very specific phased answer episode where we can go much deeper into it and break down everything we know about them. So consider this more of a overview of this working class in Tleilaxu society. Right. Now, face dancers are sterile, and they're used for everything from being spies to assassins to just like everyday servants for the masters. Once again, they are this like working class in the society. They are the tools that are used to keep the gears turning on Tleilax. Right. Their abilities include being able to shift their face and body and voice and mannerisms to perfectly match any target they desire. Mm -hmm. We see Sidetail do this in Dune Messiah. This isn't magic, though. This isn't some sort of like far future magic. Right. Again, talking about the Benny Tleilax using biological experimentation. They do this through muscle control. <laughs> and... <laughs> This is the part where we have to just say we'll talk about this another time because the Dune Encyclopedia does its best to literally explain every part of what that means. Mm -hmm. It's awful. It's slightly nauseating. We're going to save it for a gross, gross episode about the face dancers. Right. So stay tuned for that. Right. These disguises, though, are good. Yeah. They are very good. Enough to fool even the family and friends of their targets. And really, it's the Bene Gesserit who are able to sometimes, with the proper training, see through a face dancer disguise. Otherwise, they're near perfect. In Messiah, we get the example of Paul being able to see right through Sidetail's disguise. But even that, he's able to do because of his Bene Gesserit training from his mother, and literally because he is the most powerful present being in the galaxy at that time. Right. So that kind of gives you a sense of how truly effective these face dancers are at changing their outward appearance. Right. They can fool nearly everyone. Yeah. Sometimes they fool themselves, actually, as it turns out. <laughs> exactly. That segues nicely into the next point. It's almost like we have a script and you know what I was going to say. <laughs> almost as if, yeah. <laughs> face dancers are, of course, bred and genetically designed to be perfectly loyal to their Tleilaxu masters. Right. But they can forget who they are if they inhabit a role too long, which seems to really be a theme for the Tleilaxu. If you pretend <laughs> to be an asshole long enough, you will just be an asshole eventually. That is a beautiful metaphor, by the way. That <laughs> parallel is incredible. And honestly, I'm embarrassed to say it didn't occur to me until just now. That's great. <laughs> Wow. And face dancers run the risk of exactly that happening. If they stay as one person too long, that loyalty to their masters runs the risk of breaking, and they run the risk of forgetting who they were and just simply thinking they are the person they're impersonating. Yeah. Wild stuff. By the time we reach heretics and chapter house, face dancers, of course, have been around for thousands of years, and that technology has continued to evolve. The newest model of face dancer by that time can go even further and absorb the consciousness of their subjects just by touching them. And this 
to me is very akin to the Benny Gesserit forehead touching sort of data transfer yeah. thing they do in Heretics and <laughs> <Yeah>. Chapter House. <laughs> yeah, airdrop me your brain, bro. <laughs> <laughs> airdrop me your brain. Yeah. All your memories, man. Just zip file. Compress it into a zip file. <laughs> drop it over. So it's clear that the face dancers are also not just static technology. They continue to evolve and they're even more deadly in the time of the Honored Matres in the final two books. Yeah. So that's a very brief and quick overview of face dancers. But as we said, TBD on an entire episode, more about them. We're going to get into that muscle control, baby. It's going to be nice and gross. So awful. (laughs) Another gross thing that we have to talk about is the final class of Tleilaxu culture, which is the axolotl tanks. Now, if somehow you don't yet know what they are, buckle up, because this is really the point where... (laughs) You might at this point be like, oh, they're kind of fun. The Tleilaxu are kind of fun. They're like, don't really care about morals. Cool. This is like the unforgivably awful thing that makes them irredeemably terrible. Basically, to set the stage, no one has ever seen a lady Tleilaxu. Ever. They've just never seen one. Yep. And we never meet one in the books either. And we never meet one in the books. By the time of Chapter House, the Bene Gesserit have a theory. And they shoot their shot. They test it out. They say, you're not going to make one of our Bene Gesserit sisters into an axolotl tank. And I think they're doing this to Sightail. And Sightail's like, who the fuck told you? <laughs> like, he freaks out. <laughs> they yeah. confirm the theory. At some point, the Bene Tleilax maybe acknowledged the majesty of the womb, the incredible capabilities of the human body of creating life they began genetically engineering their women into semi-living tanks that could be used for things it's the peak misogyny right yeah right the tleilaxu women in their society are literally nothing more than objects right nothing more than tools and they're tools used for just about fucking everything Like, we start hearing about tanks in Messiah, you know, grown in the tank. Oh, I remember being in the tank, sure. We hear about them very early on. We hear about them as a possible way to create spice melange, artificial spice melange. It's nuts. We start getting these, like, over and over and over. We're we're hearing about them. And to then find out that they are the remnants of Tleilaxu females, awful. Really, really terrible. Awful. And... We actually get, and I forgot about this, we get a description of one from Duncan's Awakening in Heretics. (laughs) Quote, In the unfocused blurs of the newborn, he saw a great mound of female flesh, monstrous in her almost immobile grossness. A maze of dark tubes linked her body to giant metal containers. End quote. (sighs) And that's... What an awful visual. It's terrible. So... In case you were on the fence, <laughs> you're like, well, let me let me listen to this episode and see how I feel about the Tleilaxu. Fun fact, they're gross, awful, bad. Boo. Yep. Boo. Boo. <laughs> boo them, everyone at home. Boo them. <laughs> <laughs> we have to deal with trauma through humor, and that's how we get through it. Yeah, truly the worst. <sighs> it's the worst. But with that out of the way, that's what we know. That's what we know about their history. That's what we know about their culture, their class system. That's the Tleilaxu. And 
Although there is so little concrete information about them, and of course that's completely on brand for one of the most mysterious and secretive organizations in the fucking galaxy. Yeah. Knowing a little bit about their culture, knowing a little bit about their history can change the way we perceive their scenes and their actions in the books. And again, stay tuned. We will have more episodes talking about notable characters, talking about the downfall of their culture and and what happens in Chapter House, but also talking about specific things like the face dancers, because God, that fucking entry in the encyclopedia is brutal. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. Yep. That's that's your overview, your messy, messy overview of this horrible group of people. Now, to wrap up, I wanted to lighten the mood a little bit, Leo. We like to end our episodes on a question, sometimes serious, sometimes silly. I think we've had plenty of gross, serious talks today. So let's uh, end on a little silly question. Sure. Let's do it. Imagine, Leo, that you have been hired Hmm. as the new PR manager for the Tleilaxu. Hmm. Oh, dear. (laughs) They have hired you to fix their image on the galactic stage. They no longer want to be the bad guys. Sure. What do you do? What do you tell them to do? Uh, and I'm not allowed to just quit and retire <laughs> as a PR. <laughs> like, that's the end of my career. I think my strategy would be, okay, it's the time of the Tleilaxu. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, it is also the time of the Honored Matres. And it's the time of the scattering. My strategy would be the age-old strategy of establish a common enemy. Ooh. And lean hard into that invented tribalism. (laughs) Like, are they terrible? Yes. Let's not mince words, folks. They're awful. My clients, meanwhile, are like sweating. (laughs) What is he he (laughs) doing? Where's he going with this? Where's he going with this? (laughs) (laughs) What's he going to pivot? Did they literally change all of their women into a fucking awful tool? Yes. We can't apologize enough for that. It's bad. They also don't want to. I want to, but I can't because they hired me. (laughs) But let's take a moment and appreciate the fact that your heads, folks, are mostly connected to your necks. Isn't that a lovely thing? Isn't that a fun quality? Exhibit A, honored matres, favorite pastime, kicking heads from bodies. (laughs) It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, folks. And what are they coming from? What are they running away from? Something in the scattering. This is not the time to draw petty lines in the sand. This is not the time to say, oh, they're gross. They're vile. No, no, no. They are known. They are familiar. These are the people. These are the gross, awful people we've grown to know and love. (laughs) (laughs) We need to band together. And we need to uh, accept one another and uh-huh. Everybody get together. Let's put our arms around each other. Yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. And uh and uh we're gonna sing the national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I gotta no. stop you right know. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> I was trying to think of a, a song. It's fine. Oh, that's so I think funny. it's a lost cause, but that's that's my angle. My angle okay. is like okay. identify that's, that's worth a shot. That's the common shot. enemy. It's worked in the past. Listen, this is society. Right. But that's that's my angle. What about you? What's your <laughs> what's your strategy? <laughs> uh, my angle is a little bit different. Sure, I went more personal, right? Instead of finding an enemy on a grand scale and waging this war, you have to work with us because they're worse than us. 
Do right. you want us or them? Right. My angle is a bit more about fixing their image. <laughs> yeah. The way that perhaps a celebrity in the real world might. Mm-hmm. I would advise them to donate a ton of money and or spice. Okay. To a number of random Pawinda charities, right? Okay. Show show these Pawindas you care. Sure, yeah. And plus, it's probably a sick tax break on the side as well. <laughs> so, you know, funnel funnel some money and spice into some charities. And True. then, that's uh-huh. part one. Okay, part one. Part two of the strategy <laughs> uh-huh. is to start a fake relationship. Oh, Oh. To drum up some hype, to drum up some good press. Like tag or? Start a relationship. <laughs> and the natural question then, of course, might be, okay, but right. uh, like who should one of these Tleilaxu masters date? Like, right. Who's the right candidate to drum up some good press? And the answer is so clear. A female Tleilaxu that's not a tank. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> look, we, we got to get ahead of the bad press. Yeah. The axolotl tanks are not a good look, obviously. So get <laughs> ahead of it. Waff needs to date his tank. Uh, sorry, his female Tleilaxu. <laughs> and he needs to convince the galaxy that he is in love with her, folks. It's not an easy task for my guy Waff, the supreme leader, the Mahai. But he's got to do it. This is how we get the galaxy on your side. That's So that's my strategy. It's a one-two punch charity fake relationship to, <laughs> to get all that good uh, paparazzi press. Stage a couple of fake photos with his tank. You know how it is. Listen, we're doing a lot with a little. We're trying our best <laughs> in what is, I think, undeniably a losing battle. But I think we can agree there is a final, there's a third punch. There's a third hit to this. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So to paint the, the, to paint the scene, you and I, right, we've, we've gathered representatives of the various cultures. And we're in a little boardroom, little meeting room. We have our projector or like, you know, extendo stick or like a laser pointer. And we finish our presentation. I'm going the like common enemy. You're going the like, let's create a new narrative kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Then catered McSlig lunch. Yo. For everybody. Trays of McSligs brought out. People are like, I didn't fucking know the McSlig was back. That's nuts. Whoa. Yes. Immediately remind them. This is a... Can you taste why they are our friends? Like, taste those flavors do not come from villainy. Genius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Genius. My God, Leo, you dastardly bastard. That'll do it. That's the nail in the coffin. With a side of Dunkin's. Just fresh fried, <laughs> <laughs> delicious Dunkin's. Now I'm hungry. Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. Meshaik, I think is how you say that. Ma- Mashaik? Mashiks. Mashiks? It, it's just a word. I put it in the notes. It's just a, another Arabic word. Like, sheikhs is the word for, like, kings.
So like it's either Mashik or Mashakes. Mashakes. But Mashakes sounds like a chocolate shake. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mashakes with your mixed leg. 